believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So as we come to Deuteronomy, it's Moses in the last month or so of his life. He's there on the east side of the Jordan River. They're looking at the promised land in Jericho. He's preparing the next generation to enter into the promises and all that God has for them to go in and take take the land that God's promised them to get out for the inheritance. And as he's doing so, he's now reviewing the law of God that the previous generation had received almost 40 years ago at Mount Sinai. So he's expanding on the law. Deuteronomy means second law. What really is the expanding of the first law and understanding it and breaking it down. So he's talking to a future generation that has watched a previous generation die and step into eternity. And now it's their chance to do their thing and and live their life. And for me personally, having traveled so much in the last three months and really with my own kids being anywhere from 23 to 30, I just can't help but look at the next generation everywhere I go and think it's your planet. You're going to inherit it, so think and pray about what you're doing and the decisions you're making. But I, I think those things with a, a perspective of optimism and faith that the Lord, as he guides each generation and each gener- generation makes their decisions, they can make good decisions and be blessed, and that's what we want for them. So as we come to chapter 5 tonight, we now get Moses teaching the Ten Commandments. So for the second time in our journey through the five books of Moses, we get the Ten Commandments straight up. And so, I mean, they don't come up too often in the Bible. So we want to take our time and take a look tonight at the Ten Commandments. We're going to break them down in three increments. The vertical commandments with the Lord, the transitional commandment with parents, and the horizontal commandments with your neighbor. And so keep us on track with three different things, and we pick it up tonight in verse 6 of chapter 5, where Moses is talking, and now he's reminding them of what the Lord did for them and how they got the Ten Commandments, and he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. 
Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord God has commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his oxen, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Now we know that Moses broke those tablets when he came down the mountain the first time because the people had been led into idolatry with the golden calf by the brother of Moses, Aaron, the high priest. So then Moses went back up the mountain, got a second set of the Ten Commandments, the two stone tablets, literally written with the hand of God. They eventually end up in the Ark of the Covenant. And for centuries, they were in the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the tabernacle, the central place of worship, and then the temple when Solomon built it uh, around 950 B.C. And the second set of stone tablets that God wrote were in that tabernacle in the temple. They're in the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, then the, the temple and when the temple was destroyed, we have no record where they ever ended up. There, it's, that's why it's like, you know, Indiana Jones and, you know, the Lost Ark. Because it's the, it'd be the greatest archaeological find ever if you could find the Ten Commandments. Because how often can you find two stone tablets that God wrote on them? His commandments with his own hand, if you will. That's what he did. So very real, the Ten Commandments, the second set. And we know that the New Testament expands a lot on the Ten Commandments specifically. Because we talk about the law of God, we have the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. Then we have the civil law, which is guiding capital punishment, murder, manslaughter, these things. And then we have religious law, which deals with the priesthood, the animal sacrificial system, and the religious holidays. But this text, of course, is the moral law, the Ten Commandments, which are individually to be heard, believed, received, and applied. Now, in the Old Covenant, in the Mosaic Covenant, before the New Covenant in Christ... They were still to be applied by faith. No one ever kept these things and went to heaven because they're a good enough person and stood before God. No one, not Jeremiah, not Esther, nobody in 1,500 years of their covenant went into eternity and said, I'm going to heaven because I was a good Queen Esther. I was a great Daniel the prophet, and I kept the Ten Commandments, and I'm perfect. I'm going to heaven. No one ever got to heaven in the Old Testament that way because we know from Hebrews 11 that anyone that ever gets to heaven prior to the time of Christ got to heaven through faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those who come to him must believe he is in the order of those who seek him. And we understand from the New Testament writings that as they had the Ten Commandments as a guide for moral conduct and character to give convictions, to have character, they never saved anybody. They were saved by faith, believing the promises of God. And those promises of God in the Old Testament were always pointing to Christ coming. That's why they had the hundreds of prophecies and the typologies. So every time they kept the Passover with the blood of the lamb, that's where their faith was looking at this substitutionary animal with the blood on the doorpost, just like Christ would do as a substitution for us with his blood on the cross. It's important to understand that with the Ten Commandments. And as we come to the Ten Commandments, we know that Jesus was asked, which are the greatest commandments? The greatest commandment. He said the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, vertical, and the second like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, horizontal. Now, when Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit right in the book of Romans, he wrote something that's very beneficial to all of us. And I quote from Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, which is to lie, you shall not covet, that's that back five we just read, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So as we break down the Ten Commandments tonight, we want to break it down with that New Testament perspective that ultimately love, God's love working in us, God's love received by us, transforming us through the Holy Spirit in us, working in and through us, that love will help us live out the commandments the way they were meant to be, not by self-righteousness by which we conjure up, but by faith and yielding to the Holy Spirit in our life. So we want to keep that in mind. And of course, Jesus himself said that he didn't come to cancel the law, the Ten Commandments, but he came to fulfill them. So as we've been saying, as we've been going through the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, time and time again, that Jesus Christ is the perfect man. And Jesus Christ is, as the Son of God, Son of Man, perfectly fulfilled these Ten Commandments. He wasn't crucified for... He didn't receive capital punishment because he broke these commandments. He received capital punishment because he claimed to be God, which is who he is. But he fulfilled these commandments perfectly. And as he fulfilled them, and as we look to him and have faith on him like the serpent in the wilderness, as we look to him and believe his righteousness is then imputed or reckoned to our account. So the perfect life he lived obeying the law, the Ten Commandments, is then given to you and me. That's what happens. When we're born again and we receive Christ, the righteousness that he showed by fulfilling the Ten Commandments is then reckoned to or imputed to our account. It's a full deposit. It's like an electronic deposit. It happened. It went through. And you're fully righteous because Jesus kept the Ten Commandments without fail perfectly. Perfectly. So he died on the cross for our sins, but he also died on the cross for our justification. And God made him who knew no sin become sin for us that we could become the righteous of God. So when we're born again, for in Adam all sin and die, when we're born again in Christ, the second Adam, we're made alive. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what happens. So again, as we look at the Ten Commandments tonight, we want to bear in mind that Jesus fulfilled them. And as we are born again through faith in Jesus, by faith, that we are empowered to live a life that reflects them and bring glory to him as we do so. That's what we're going to keep in mind. But they're not making us righteous. We're not going to keep these Ten Commandments and be justified before God because we did. But these things are going to be lived out in our life because we're being transformed from glory to glory through faith in Jesus. And this is what the Spirit's going to do in our life. And it's going to make us a better neighbor. It's going to make us a better citizen on planet Earth. And it's going to make us better ambassadors for Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom. So first of all, let's look at the four commandments that deal vertically tonight with that background. Commandments 1 through 4. So the first one is you have no gods before the Lord. It's fairly simple. God is supreme. It's not like he's God number one, there's other gods. It's not Jesus plus this or Jehovah plus that. It's, there are, there are no other gods. Like he says through Isaiah time and time again, I am the Lord, there is no other. There are no other gods. Only one God made the universe. He's Father, Son, and Spirit, triune in nature. He made the universe three-dimensional, triune in nature. And all, everything we see and know in time, space, and matter reflects God and only God. 
Only God made the universe, not many gods. There's not a God of the sea, a God of war, a God of increase, a God of sex and reproduction and fertility. There's one God, God who has a plan for the universe, God who made man in his image to, for the purpose to show man that love and to give humanity, men and women, the opportunity to reciprocate and return that love. That is the God we serve. There's only one God. So we'll have no gods before the Lord our God. And he revealed himself to them in a direct covenant this way, which is incredible. They heard his voice there at Mount Sinai. Unlike any other nation, he didn't do that for anyone else. And through this nation, he promised to send his son, the Messiah, who came for us, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There are no other gods. We can say that if someone wanted to... Well, we've heard people say that all roads lead to God and to heaven. Nothing can be so ridiculous and... and untrue objectively we can't all be right we can all be wrong but we cannot all be right so on the first commandment we realize it's not like buddha's going to save you and muhammad's saving you like muhammad's saving the middle east buddha's saving the far east and jesus is saving the western world it doesn't work like that there's one god God alone and will have no other gods. So it's not Jesus plus Buddha, Jesus plus tolerance of world religions in the sense of tolerance that we accept them as being viable belief systems. They are false gods and they are false religions. And if that offends people, it's going to offend them. And it will because many people put their trust in Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, animist, pantheistic gods. But only Jesus Christ can save. This was the message of the early church when Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin and said, There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You'll have no gods before me. We've got Jesus, we've got everything. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through faith in Jesus Christ, being born of the Spirit. We are complete in him, as it says in Colossians. Jesus is all who will ever need. If you've got Jesus, you've got the Savior, and you've got everything you need for the human experience because we're created to know Jesus and to serve Jesus and fulfill his calling on our life. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have what we need at all. And we're missing what our life is meant to be. It's a sad thing. And we make our choices. But the choice is Jesus is God or Jesus isn't God. So there are no other gods before me. It's, it's Jesus is Lord. And that's that. No one comes to the Father but through me, he said. And we're reminded that tonight when you have no gods before him. We'll not make a carved image. Most of us don't make carved images. Now, he, he didn't say it in the sense, it's not in the sense that we can't have imagery that reflects heaven, like the Sistine Chapel, right? Because we know that God even gave instructions on how to build cherubim. So we're, we, we build things that reflect heaven. It, you have that instruction. But of course, none of us knows what Jesus looks like. So it's, it's, it's hard to do a children's Bible without drawing Jesus of some sort. But I think, you know, God knows our heart and we're trying to help kids understand that God became a man and walked among us. But we're not worshiping Jesus on a piece of paper and a a cartoon picture or a replica of what someone thinks that is. When you watch The Chosen, we're not looking at an actor portraying Jesus and thinking that that's really Jesus. We're not worshiping that actor saying, wow, you know, like that's not what we're doing. But of course, there are people that build images and shrines and whatnot and they worship them. And I just would say that's not a good idea. That's a very bad idea. And we don't know what Jesus looks like. 
And no one has seen the Father in any time, but Jesus revealed the Father to humanity. So we see him through the eyes of faith. That's how we see Jesus in our prayer time. Now, maybe Jesus might appear to you in a vision or a dream, because that happens in the book of Acts. That happens in church history. That happens in the mission field. You hear of people, and recently, in the last 20 years, quite a bit in the Islamic world, you've heard of Muslims who said, Jesus came to my room and appeared to me and told me he's the Savior. So if a Muslim goes from being a Muslim and is ostracized from society and family and gives their life to Christ and is executed for it or persecuted for it or expelled from their nation for it and says that Jesus came to the room and revealed himself, I'm inclined to believe it. Because I don't think you're going to do that if Jesus didn't really come. But if you're like Paul and you're Saul and you're persecuting Christians and you hate their guts and you have a vision from Jesus on the road to Damascus and he reveals himself to you and the one who formerly persecuted now preaches the message... I'm not, that's a valid, that's, but remember when Jesus did that on the road to Damascus, the people just heard a noise, but they didn't hear the voice of the Lord. But we'll have no images, so no idolatry, no idols. And of course, idols in their time, when they went to the promised land, they had the asterisks, the Baals, and all these other different idols. And so it was a direct warning contextually for them. And those were the idols of wealth, fertility, sexual immorality, uh, unrestrained sexual activity, Sexual revolution, the devil would have loved to give in Israel a sexual revolution in the land, but he's expelling, and, and God was executing the people from the land for their freedom of sexual revolution with all sexes, all people, and even animal kingdom. So I have to be really careful where sexual revolutions lead us as we're in one right now that's ripping our country apart and our entire planet and the world we know it. We'll get to that on honoring your father and your mother if I remember it. So no idols or the things that are associated with idols. And God says he's a jealous God. He's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. Do you understand the difference? See, when I was a pro surfer and I was top 10 in the world and I was a California kid and I kept hearing Tom Curran was really good and getting better. I was like, oh, that's a kid that did WSA. Who's Tom Curran? I'm Joey Baran, right? Well, my friends would come back to college about it, like, dude, Tom Curran's really good, man. I'm like, whatever. I'm Joey Brand. When I saw Tom Curran at 15 at Ventura County Line in a pro-am, I was like, uh-oh. Al Merrick was his coach. That's bad news. I'm like, even Joey Brand, with all the pride that I had, was like, he's really good. And then, you know, by the time he was 16 as an amateur, he was beating all the pros that were beating me on tour. I mean, I was still going to be top 20 in the world. Here's a six-year-old kid. He wins the Caton contest in 1981 as an amateur, turns down the money. And I was like, I lost early, and I went home, and I found out Tom Kern won the Caton. I was like, Tom Kern won the Caton? I felt sick. I felt sick. My little rival from Santa Barbara was beating Sean Thompson and all the top pro surfers. And I was jealous of Tom Curran. And then when he won that first pro event in Japan just a year or two later, and I was in a slump, and he beat Mark Richards and Tom Carroll, I was like, I was so sick. I was Japanese sick. I was like, so sick. I was so jealous. I was like, how can he surf that good? How is his backside so good? It's like perfect. He's still considered the greatest surfer of all time for his style, and I was anything but style. I was so jealous of Tom Curran. I, stayed, I roomed with him in South Africa for two weeks one time, a few years later, when he was moving on a world title. I just look at him and I go, I, I hate you. <laughs> you wrecked my world. You know, like Buzz Lightyear and Woody. You know, it's like, everything was good before you showed up, Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger. And I was jealous of him and his success and the abilities he had. 
That's not the jealousy God has. God is jealous for us because all of his passion is directed toward us on the cross. That's how he is. His love for us is demonstrated with Jesus dying on the cross. And he's jealous for us. He's like jealous for parents, parents being jealous for their kids when they see someone turning the kids against the good counsel of the parents. And you're jealous for your children because you know the bad counsel they're following of friends and the group they might be running with, it's, it's not in their best interest. It's destructive for them. It's going to have a bad ending. And, they're, and they're, we're jealous for our children. We're jealous that, they get a, that the coaches treat them properly, that the teachers aren't against them and harass them. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's more like we're, we're passionate for those we love. That's what the jealousy implies. In fact, we think of jealousy as envy, like Joy Brand, Tom Curran, but that's not really what this word means in the Hebrew. It is to be passionate for. So he's opposed to idolatry and false gods because he's passionate for us. He's given everything for us, and he's, he's passionate for us because he knows those things will destroy us. And that's what he says time and time and again, not only what we've already covered in the five books of Moses, but as we get deeper into Deuteronomy, we'll see that. We're then told not to use his name in vain. Well, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just the, the reverence for God and the respect for God. Don't you just cringe when people use the Lord's name in vain? You really do. In all my lifetime, I've never heard anyone curse Muhammad or Buddha at Target. But I've heard him curse Jesus Christ. And I just cringe. You just cringe. Like it's one thing if someone just kind of has a potty mouth. But when they use the Lord's name in vain, just like, oh. And that's good. You should cringe. You should cringe. I don't want to be insensitive if someone's using the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. A sign of conversion and transformation is you don't use the Lord's name in vain. That's just... That's just something that the, the Spirit's not going to... He'll clean it up really quick. So not using the Lord's name in vain, because we hallow the Lord. Observe the Sabbath. Now, for them, that was a sign of the covenant. We've talked about this, that they had the Sabbath. Now, we are to have a Sabbath rest. It's good to have a day off. But we know that Jesus fulfills the Sabbath, that he died on the cross, and he gives us rest from the works of the flesh. And so he is our rest, what it really represented. And we know that the Ten Commandments is the only one not reiterated to the church in the New Testament. In fact, we're told that one person esteems one day, another another, Sabbaths, new moons, but let each esteem as they feel led because these are a shadow of things to come, but Christ is the substance. You know, I quote that verse a lot, but the context of that verse is literally the Sabbath and the, the new moons and these things. These are shadows of things to come, but Christ fulfills it. So we're not going to do Jesus plus a legalistic relationship church absolutely on Saturday and we don't we limit phone calls we make, what we drive in our car. Because see, a lot of the Orthodox Jews to this day in Israel, they'll, they'll limit, like they won't make phone calls because that's their understanding of the Sabbath. Or they, they won't drive, but they'll take the bus. You see, that's what religion does. You get really weird, like, well, we can't drive, it's the Sabbath, but we can take the bus. Okay. Like, you see, that's what religion does. We're not about religion, we're about relationship. So the Sabbath, and we know in the early church that they got together on the Lord's Day, the day he rose from the grave. And so the Sabbath is never, ever associated with the church from the time Jesus rose from the grave. He's, there's never book of Acts, pastoral teachings, the epistles, book of Revelation. If the Sabbath 
was meant to be applied legalistically or legally by the church, we would certainly know it from the historical record of Acts, the pastoral instructions from First and Second Timothy and Titus, as well as all those letters. And we're just told the exact opposite. Don't worry about it, what you do. They, we see in Corinthians on the first day of the week they got together. That was Sunday. That's when they celebrate because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. All vertical. These are all vertical in our relationship with God. So these are all vertical related. And it's, it's not that we love God because we have to, like we're a robot. But if we understand his love for us, we've been talking about this, they will naturally return that love. We are created to know his love and we are created to reciprocate, to return his love. But that truly doesn't happen until the spirit reveals to us that Christ is the Savior and we respond to that and we really understand how great is God's love for us. Now, the fifth commandment is the transitional commandment. So vertical humanity to God. Now transitional because it's vertical because it's your parents, but it's transitional because it's human beings. But this transitional commandment, honor your father and your mother as the Lord God has commanded you that your days may be long, that it may be well with you in the land where you go that the Lord has given you. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.